you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse, verses 28 through 36. I will be reading Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake and saw His glory and the two men who stood with Him, and as the men were parting from Him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Lord, may I by your unmerited grace be a vessel for the words of your servant, Dr. Luke a vessel to represent along with Him what happened on that day. May we see it and love it to the glory of our great salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke has been gradually revealing to us in this narrative the identity of Jesus. He's in his public ministry. And then, what's the scuttlebutt? What are people saying about me? And, and, and the people, they have different opinions. Maybe he's John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Or maybe he is Elijah, the great prophet from centuries before, come to us like the prophets of spoken or maybe some other prophet and then we saw last week who do you say that I am Peter answers you are the Christ the Messiah and Jesus says you're right you got it but <laughs> it's different than you expect 
This means that I must go to Jerusalem in order to be killed by the hands of sinful men and rise from the dead on the third day. Now, when they said that to them, just like if we were there, they don't get it. And they're not going to get it, really, until those things happen. But they will look back. They will look back on these dialogues that Jesus now begins to have with His twelve. And oh, it will come together and be encouraging. And what we see this morning, Peter, James, and John will need this experience for the encouragement of what is going to be happening in the weeks and a few months to come in Jerusalem. And when the prophecies are fulfilled, they will speak about what we are going to see here this morning. And so, the context is this. After up in Caesarea Philippi, you're like 40 miles north in your Bible map above Galilee, above the Sea of Galilee, where Peter made the confession. Now, one week later, this is why we think it's probably, we don't know for sure, Mount Horeb, up north of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus says, okay, you three, I want Peter, I want James, and John. He takes them up to Mount Horeb to pray. My purpose this morning is for us to see what they saw and what they heard and then to worship this great God man so before we look at the words here in our text of Luke 9 though oh gosh there is a a biblical context that that we ought to feel and know so that we can understand more clearly what in the world is going on here. So that's where we're going to start. If you have your little iPhones or Bibles, I'm going to turn back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are numbers of times where God, the Creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of Moses, would reveal Himself tangibly, visibly, even though He's not visible, in the Shekinah glory. Shekinah meaning the dwelling. There's a, the way in which God, who is omnipresent, could dwell right here. Nothing prevents Him from manifesting His presence in, in particular ways. And so first, as I turn to Exodus, the first time Israel saw such a thing was they're fleeing from slavery in Egypt, as we read in Exodus chapter 13, starting with verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so here, he says, the Lord, Yahweh, the personal God, the I Am, was there with them in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. 
Then we flip through later in chapter 19 of Exodus. We read, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, of a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. In Exodus chapter 33, we see Moses having this intimate encounter personally with God in the glorious cloud. Starting with verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then later, Moses will say, in chapter 33 of Exodus, starting with verse 18. Please show me your glory. The Lord said, I will make all my glory pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. This is unfolding His name. And I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. But He said to Moses, You cannot see My face, for man shall not see Me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by Me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then we see in chapter 34 of Exodus, it happens. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and faithfulness. Moses saw the, the, the afterglow as he removed his hand, whatever that means. He saw, not his face, but the glory of God. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days without eating any food, drinking any water, and writing what God tells him to write. And when Moses finally descended the mountain with the two tablets, he did not realize that to those that looked at him, his face was beaming with a reflection of God's Shekinah manifest glory. In chapter 34 of Exodus, we read this starting with verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. In verse 33, And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until... He went in to speak with God. Then at the end of Exodus, the tabernacle is complete. You know, you can assemble it and disassemble it, move, put the tabernacle up again. We see this in Exodus 30, I mean Exodus 40, verse 34. And the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And that tabernacle was used for centuries. And then hundreds of years later, King David's son, King Solomon, was commissioned to build a permanent dwelling called the Temple in Jerusalem. And it's completed and it's dedicated. And we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of Yahweh filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord filling the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of Yahweh on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures 
forever. And then hundreds of years pass until one night in the fields outside of Bethlehem, Luke tells us something back in chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of Yahweh shone around them, and they were filled, appropriately, with fear. The glory of the Lord returned to Israel. He showed up to the shepherds in that Shekinah glory. But He did it because of the announcement that the glory of the Lord is returning. In Jesus, that baby who was just born of this girl named Mary. As the angel will say, the baby is the Savior promised. The Savior who is Messiah, Christ, the Lord. Now, during the next 35 years, that glory, born in the manger, was veiled. It was veiled in His genuine, true Humanity. He needed to be changed. He grew. He crawled. Then He walked. And then He started speaking all these words that He would hear all around Him. And then He learned marks and symbols and the alphabet, and the Greek alphabet, and of course Aramaic. He developed. He's human without sin, though. So we saw what does a human intellect look like unaffected by sin at age 12? It confounds the PhDs of his day. And he went back and did his trade, and he didn't cheat people as a carpenter. He made really good furniture. For another decade, and a half. And then his public ministry. And what we've seen so far is that he has not shown forth the glory that we see throughout the Old Testament. He is a man, genuinely. He has slowly, over the period of the first few years of his ministry, been giving huge keys to who He is. Slowly revealing Himself as first. He's Lord. He's sovereign over demons. He is Lord over life. Child arise and the dead girl does. The guy in Nain gets up and walks 
after being hard and cold. He is shown He is the Lord over nature. Storm, stop. And it obeys. He is Lord of creation. He feeds 5,000 people from basically nothing. And then, guys, it's time. Who am I? You are the one. You're the king. You're the one the prophets talked about, the son of David. You're the Mashiach, the Messiah. Yes, but it's not like you think, Peter. You guys are going to have to slowly start to get this. We're going to Jerusalem in order that I may be killed. And of course, they're clearly really confused about that. And so, a week later, he takes the inner circle three, the three fishermen, Peter, and then the two brothers, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, up on a mountain to pray. Just feel it now. This Christmas season and these hymns and carols we sing are so true. The eternal God. The glory of Israel. The glory that shone and reflected off the face of Moses takes these three. And this guy is praying on the mountain. Yeah. Because he is genuinely now taken to himself our nature. Dependent. Humanity. Ever since his conception in the womb of Mary. In the incarnation of Jesus, His glory through all these years has been veiled. Voluntarily. This eternal person is chosen willingly to not access what He never ceased having, divine nature. To not access His incommunicable attributes. Those things that belong only to the Creator. Like omnipresence. Omniscience. All-knowing. Omnipotence. All-power. He, listen to the way Paul says this later. Concerning Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Jesus is the one who... Though he was in the form of, or that form means nature, the morphe of God. He was in the nature, form of God. He did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning, I'm going to refuse to be incarnate. That's what he's saying. Uh Uh-uh. He didn't regard that truth about his eternal nature, something to prevent him from coming to be one of us, to die for us. 
No, but instead he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He took to himself our finite limitations of humanity, just like us, yet without sin nature. Okay, so here we are on Mount Horeb. Jesus and the three. And this man, Jesus, he's praying. And then, bam! Something happened. Verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Jesus' very human, you prick him, he bleeds, he needs to relieve himself, he's human. His very outward appearance is fundamentally changed. Literally in the Greek, its face was heteron of another. Just very, very different. Mark records it this way in chapter 9 of Mark. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely White, as no one on earth could bleach them. Matthew records it like this. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, they use this... Greek word transfigured, which is the word metamorphose. <laughs> you hear it, right? Metamorphosis. It's where we get it. A caterpillar becomes something very, very different. This butterfly, this change. This, so this change before them happened to the extent that not just body, but, but, but the clothing he wore was bright, like no brightness ever experienced before. So, what we have here is that for this brief time, these minutes, however long this was on this mountain, for this brief time, the veil of who this man was, it is, was lifted. And his essence flowed forth from his person. The glory of His divine nature for these three was allowed to be seen. Think about it now. Moses the Great 
one of the very few most significant figures in human history, whether you're a secularist or a believer, is Moses. His face shone. Please put a veil. And what was shining from Moses was something that was outside of him. It was another. It was the glory of the one who created him. He reflected that glory. And on this mountain, that's not what's happening. This shining bright is the noonday sun is coming from the very person of Jesus of Nazareth. This was at least a twofold thing. It is when you the, the question has been asked. Luke has been purposeful when you think and read this gospel slowly. Numbers of times he puts it in the mouth of Herod, he puts it in the mouth of the people, he puts it in the mouth of the disciples. Who is this guy? Who is he? There's an answer here. And it's a flashback before his incarnation. He is the glory of Israel. It's a flash forward to his future resurrection and ascension and to reign as the God-man forever over a saved humanity. He is the light and the glory of Yahweh Himself. As the Hebrew writer will say it in chapter 1, verse 3, concerning Jesus from Nazareth, born in a manger, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His very nature. And so, all that Shekinah glory that we saw in the Old Testament finds its source in Jesus, born of Mary finds its source in Peter, James, and John's teacher, the rabbi that they're following. He is it. That is why John, who's there, years later, he will write. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became human. And then, listen to John. And we saw His glory. He was there. This glory coming from Jesus is the same bright glory that will one day after this blind the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 3. Now as he, Paul, or Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light 
from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul later in recounting that, says, the light was brighter than the sun. No wonder he was blinded. After Jesus' resurrection, and still, something hadn't happened yet. We read about the future glory. This way in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting with verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, Jesus. And the city has no need of a sun, S-U-N, or a moon to shine on it. Because the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is Jesus, is the Lamb slain. And so, What's going on here in Luke is that pure light shines from within him throughout his physical body so that it is momentarily transformed, changed. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is Yahweh. He's the God of Moses. This person that we have been encountering for the last year in this narrative is the pillar of cloud. He is the pillar of fire. Now, you and your text, remember we're in Luke 9, verse 29 we read, the appearance of His face was changed, altered. We understand it's bright than the noonday, brighter than the noonday sun, the others make clear. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish, literally fulfill, in Jerusalem. Why Moses in Elijah? All kinds of, I think, strong reasons, but it doesn't, it doesn't explicitly say why, but, but, but I'm going to throw these out to you. First, is that Moses represents the law. Elijah, okay, maybe representing the prophets. He's a great prophet. And the law and the prophets somehow were standing there with Jesus in His transfiguration, in glory. And these guys, they're going to wake up and they're going to see this. And there's the law and there's the prophets testifying to the Christ. 
plus, Moses is associated with what? Besides the law, the exodus. He's the one God uses to lead the people out of slavery, to make an exodus, a departure out of slavery. And in our text, in the Greek, it says Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about Jesus's. Let me just give you the Greek word. You ready? Here it is. Here's the Greek word. Exodus. There's a freeing, there's a representative thing in what Moses would bring, just as what Joshua after would bring him now into the land, etc. Here's Jesus. Here is the Exodus. This is the essence of eternal sin and slavery and being delivered from it and what He will be doing in Jerusalem. And dying and rising. Five weeks later, ascending. Sending the Holy Spirit. Saying, I'm coming back. That's the essence of deliverance or exodus. And then another, of course, Moses and Elijah have themselves, when it comes to exodus out of this earth, like Jesus will do, they have some pretty strange ways that they went. Moses, no one was there with him on Mount Nebo but God. God wanted it that way, and Moses died, and God himself buried him. That's just odd. Elijah is really weird. (laughs) Elisha's there, and... He didn't just drop dead or anything. God just took him up in a chariot of fire. And they're talking to Jesus about his departure. And finally, both of them, Moses and Elijah, are very connected to the end time, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah, this one. They're both connected that way. For instance, Moses said this in Deuteronomy 18.5. The Lord your God will, there's a future time, He will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Yeah, city of Bethlehem, Mary, lineage of David. From among you, from your brothers, it is Him you shall listen. And of course, Elijah had, since his being taken away, and the other prophets have been this figure of the end time. You know, on Malachi puts it this way in chapter four: "Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord." And John the Baptist is reckoned to be that Elijah, Elijah type figure. Okay, great. Or you can also say he did send Elijah on the mountain. Here, I'm fine with both. And so here we are on the mountain. It's Peter, James, John, broken, sinful, confused fishermen. And there's Moses. I don't know how they know it's Moses, but they do. There's Moses. He's been dead for 1,400 years. There's Elijah. He's been dead for 900. And they're having a discussion with Jesus. They're talking particularly about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem now from this point where He will be the sacrificial Lamb slain to do away 
with the sin of God's people. And where He will in glory be raised. That must have been an amazing conversation. We don't know all of what they talked about. I don't know if Peter, James, and John do because they were kind of tired there a little bit and were waking up, the text will tell us. And as they, they kind of awake and see this, there's the law and there's the prophets talking with Jesus, the one who is the fulfillment of the law. The one who, in the law, a large part of that law is this whole sacrificial system, blood of animals for the doing away with sin, the scapegoat, etc. All to be fulfilled in Christ. They all pointed to Him. This is the one who fulfills all righteousness. This is the one who is the only one who could keep the law. For Him, He came and He fulfilled the law. Where Paul makes it clear in Romans for every single one of us, you know what the law brought? The law came. You know what that was about? It brought, according to Paul, wrath. (laughs) He comes and he fulfills it. He's the fulfillment of the prophets that Elijah represents. And all these writings about the son of David coming, the Shiach, the anointed one, he's coming, he's coming, and there they stand. But this must have been fearful (laughs) let's pick up verse 32 now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep but when they became fully awake they saw Jesus' glory and the two men who stood with him and As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Luke Luke says it all. Not knowing what he said. And what was Jesus' answer? No, he didn't need to answer because of what happened next. As Peter was saying these things, don't miss the next two words. A cloud. Bells are supposed to go off. Ding, ding, ding. A cloud came and overshadowed them and they, appropriately, were afraid as they entered the cloud. This was the cloud that passed before Moses 1,400 years earlier. It's the cloud that stood as a pillar over the tabernacle. It is the cloud that filled the temple to where they could not stand. They are in the Shekinah glory presence. Of God with Jesus, who is identical to that very glory, as it's beaming from his person through through his humanity. This is the man, the human being, who will pray the night before he's killed. 
this. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What's the text about? It's simply this. Everything that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and the manifest presence of the glory of Yahweh Him very Himself is fulfilled and personified in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, while in the thick cloud of God's glory, read on, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. This was the voice of the Father. Very much like one other time, few years earlier at Jesus' baptism. That must have been stunning for James and for Peter. Who will, who will for their testimony be put to death? And they won't, we can't, in order to save their life about the message of this Jesus that they preached. Now, just real briefly, look back at verse 27. Because some of you ask, how can you deal with verse 27? Okay, Here's my 20 seconds on verse 27. But I tell you, this is a week earlier, okay? One week earlier, Jesus is talking to His disciples. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus did not prophesy His second coming and that He was wrong. As a whole, this probably incorporates what all these guys are going to see. His death. His resurrection. They're going to eat and talk with Him for five weeks after He was dead and now raised. And He will ascend. And they will wait in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And they will have a power they never dreamed of in their ministry. They had seen the power and the presence of the kingdom. Yeah. Or another way to say it, I think contextually. This is why I'm, I'm going to go with both. That's the last thing He said. And then we're a week later and boom, here He is. The transfiguration of Jesus. Which, which is a taste of all of that. Of the taste of this king post his torture forever. Sitting at the right hand of God. They saw his glory. Now, verse 36. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Okay, No tense is the answer are necessary. I think this is the message here. Should we, Moses, my goodness, do you get bigger than Moses? Abraham and Moses. Moses, no, no, for the Jew. Moses is huge. 
Spill them tents. Here's the answer. One for you, one for you, and one for you. That's cool. No. My son. This is my son! They're gone. Only Jesus is alone. My son is not on a par with Moses or Elijah. He is the God of Moses and Elijah. I wonder years later, John, the son of Zebedee, would say, We saw his glory. Years later, Peter will write a letter to the church spread out through all the different provinces. And he will say, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. What do I mean? For when we for when he Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. Because we were with Him on that holy mountain. And what does the Father say? In the cloud of glory. With Jesus standing there. And these fishermen. Listen to Him. That is a direct reference to Deuteronomy Chapter 18, verse 15. It's a direct reference. The wording in the Greek is exactly the same as the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was before Christ came. Moses said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. Listen to him. The Hebrew writer says it this way, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Therefore, because of who Jesus Born in a manger from Mary 2,000 years ago. A carpenter. This real historical figure. Because of who He is, everything depends on listening to Him. Just give you a for instance. And Jesus said to him, I am the way. And I am 
the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Or, come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give to you rest. Take take my yoke upon me. You want me to control you. But my yoke is easy. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. You know what I like about Matthew and Mark's account of the transfiguration? Luke doesn't give it, say it this way. There's no contradiction there. They just, they just give us more info. As these guys were terrified out of their minds. <laughs> Jesus, after the cloud lifted the voice, he goes to him gently. Come on, guys. It's okay, basically. It's okay. Get up. Who? The God who thundered on Mount Sinai. And so, with Peter, with James, with John, let us embrace what this experience meant. This is God. He is the God-man who is on His way to Jerusalem. Now, here's the question you ask yourself. He's on the way to Jerusalem in order to receive the judicial punishment for sins. Were years nailed there? There's only one way for you to know and to be assured. Is, is He your Savior? Have you embraced Him? This God-man is going to Jerusalem to be slaughtered. To experience the wrath. Oh, got to get it. This is God who became man. And He's going there in His manness, His humanness, to experience the judicial, holy, perfect wrath of God that others deserve. But He will be, as pictured in the law of Moses, the substitute to redeem His people and to be raised triumphant. Peter, James, and John about the glory of this man just got a taste of that glory. And as God ascended in the presence of the cloud, they entered it. See, in the future, for every one of us right now who loves Jesus, who says, yeah, I believe this with all my heart. God has raised this man from the dead. <laughs> one day, 
we will be in that cloud, in that glory, without sin, in His presence. As sinners having been mercied, saved by unimaginable grace. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, He is coming with the clouds. Okay, That's not just a statement, well, it's going to be overcast that day. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will well on account of Him. Even so, amen, and come search. Paul writes it this way in 1 Thessalonians. The Lord Himself, dear believer, He will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we, who are alive at that time, who are left, will be caught up together with them. It's not just an overcast day. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Someday, we are going to be in that cloud. The Shekinah glory forever with that glorious King, human being of our salvation, Jesus Christ forever. So again, before we love on each other, let's together worship this great God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the pillar, the cloud. Yes, the Lord. Jesus Christ.